good morning, Walk Church. I'm so excited to be here today. I'm excited to be part of this new series, be kicking off this new series called That Hits Different, and it is words from God that move us to action. Amen? Listen, every sermon should move us to action. Now listen, before we get into it, I just want to take a moment. I just want to, just want to honor Pastor Hyden. I know he's watching online right now. Can we just give Pastor Hyden a hand right now? Man, Pastor Hyden, we appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for your faithfulness, man, to to preach 75 sermons through the book of Ephesians, man, that, that is a big deal. That's four years worth of sermons to get through one book. That's dedication, and we honor you for that. Speaking of, of honor, we just want to take a moment. We always want to honor our online audience as well. We want to say good morning. Come on, let's let them hear us this morning. We're glad you're joining us. We're glad you made it, tuning in from your living room or wherever you're at. Well, listen, um, the Bible teaches this. The Bible says this. Every word, come on, somebody say every word. Every word word of God proves true. That's Proverbs 30, verse 5. 2 Timothy 3, 16 says all scripture. Someone say all scripture. All scripture is profitable for teaching, uh, for for correction, for reproof, right, for training in righteousness. But I, I also think it's true, just like Pastor Hyden said, that there are some scriptures that just speak to us different, especially in different t- times in our lives. And some of us in this room even ha- might even have a life verse. Am I right? I think we could go around this room right now and you could just say, you know what, there's one scripture that just always stood out to me. And that's what this, ser- this series is all about. We want to look at some scriptures in the Bible that just hit different. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and open them up to John chapter 13. If you've got them on your phone, go ahead and call it up on your device, whatever you've got, an iPad phone. And we'll, we'll take a look at this scripture. And while you turn there, I just want you to imagine for a moment, if you could just drop yourself into to some time in in the history of the Bible, that you could just witness one event, one biblical event that took place. I wonder what you would, what you'd want to see. You know, maybe you'd want to see, maybe you'd want to see Moses part the Red Sea. I mean, that that would be an amazing sight to see the Israelites walk through on dry land. Maybe you'd want to see the walls of Jericho fall down. Maybe you'd want to see I always thought it would be amazing just to see this giant fish swim up on the beach and just spit Jonah out of his mouth. Dude's walking around all slimy like, you know, yet 40 days and and Nineveh is going to fall and and then this whole entire nation just repents. Maybe you'd want to see Jesus walk on water. Maybe you'd want to see him feed the 5,000 with with five loaves and two fish. How cool would it be? Well, I've I've often thought that if I was able to just be dropped into biblical times, the the one scene that I would want to see would be the Last Supper. I would want to see when Jesus meets with his disciples one final time before he dies. If you just just imagine for for a moment, you know, he's got got his entire life, his entire ministry, three years of ministry, 33 years. They're all leading up to this one moment. The Bible says that he earnestly desired to eat this last Passover meal with them. Jesus has some things to say. He knows his life is short. It's, It's coming to an end. It's just a matter of hours until he, until he gives his life as a, as a ransom for sinners. His closest friends are in the room, right? He's got Peter and James and John and all of his closest disciples. But he's also got someone else in the room with him. He's got Judas. And Jesus had just wrapped a servant's towel around his waist, something that was unthinkable for a rabbi or a teacher to do. And he stooped down and he washed their feet. And then they'd take their place back at the table and, and they're about to eat this final Passover meal together. And that's when Jesus, uh, Judas, excuse me, Judas gets up and he walks out of the room to betray Jesus. And this was an event that would forever change the course of human history. 
And so Jesus knows that there's very limited time now before he's going to be arrested, right? It's only a matter of moments until he's arrested and crucified. And and so Jesus has some really important things to say, right? I mean, think about it. If you knew that you just had hours to live, I think you'd be very intentional about who you had in the room with you and about what you wanted to say. But I don't think you'd be talking about how hot the weather is. I don't think you'd be talking about how mad you are that the Las Vegas Golden Knights aren't going to make it to the cup this year although that might be a topic of conversation that we'd want to have today, I think you'd be very intentional about what you want to say to your disciples. And so now that Jesus is gone, it's the moment that Jesus says, now is the time. And he uses this word glory five times. The first thing that comes out of his mouth is glory. And then he gives them a new commandment, and he says something to them here that really just hits different. So let's go ahead and pick it up in verse 31 of John chapter 13. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. If you're hungry, say, let's eat. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And God, we are dependent upon you, God, today to come and to speak through this word. God, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, God, that we would be able to see with eyes of faith. God, that we would be able to comprehend all that you have for us this morning and the significance of this time, these final moments and this final command and order of instruction that you give to your disciples. God, we love you, we thank you, Father, and we ask you these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go ahead and and pick it up here in verse 31. Here's what it says. It says, when he had gone out, speaking of Judas, it says, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet for a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. I don't know if you've ever noticed when you're reading through the Bible, but Jesus would often say these words. He would often say, my hour has not yet come. You'd be reading and he says again, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. But now Jesus changes and he says, now is the son of man glorified. He's saying, my hour has come. Now is the time. His coming arrest and crucifixion is imminent. And we read in this passage, when we read this passage, we understand that glory is an important idea here to Jesus. Check it out. He says it five times in these verses. Let's pull it up. He says, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, then God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. And here's the first thing that this passage is teaching us this morning. I want us to see point number one. I want us to see the glory of God in the death of Jesus. What does it mean to be glorified? Glory has its meaning in being seen as something that's big or something that's heavy or something that's, that's weighty. It's something that has a lot of gravity. You know, glory is actually, believe it or not, it's a somewhat difficult concept to comprehend. And if it's, it's a hard concept to comprehend, you know, it's an even harder concept to explain. Are you with me? Now, listen, I've heard a preacher say, a wise preacher once said this, if there's a mist in the pulpit, there's going to be a fog in the congregation. 
All right, so I can't, I can't afford to have a mist up here, and I don't want any fog out there. I want us to really lean in. I think you guys are up for the challenge. Are you up for it? Yeah. All right, we're up for it. So, so we're going to just slow down here. We're going to try to see if we can understand this concept of glory and why it's so important to Jesus that he says it five times. The first words out of his mouth is glory, 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 now glory. And so let's see if we can understand it. Here are some of the ways that the, the Bible uses this word glory. Sometimes the word glory is used to communicate splendor or brightness or something that's absolutely beautiful and radiant. The Bible would say that it's glorious. Sometimes heaven is, is described as glory. Right? Sometimes the, the, the Bible uses the word glory to describe something that has immense worth, something that has extreme value something that is of extreme importance. And I really want to focus in on this idea of something that's, that's worth, that's worth a lot, something that has a lot of value or worth. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a story. It's a parable. It's, it takes one verse, and he talks about a man who actually found a field, and there was a treasure that was in this field. And before we go on, just let's talk about what, what a treasure is. By definition, a treasure is anything or any person that is greatly valued, it's something that has great worth, and it's something that is highly prized. And so with that understanding, let's, let's read Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Here's what Jesus says. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And he says, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. You see, once... Once this man, he, he finds this field and he finds that there's a treasure buried in the field. You know what he does? He takes it and he assesses its worth. That's what he does. He takes it and he says, wow, this field has a treasure in it and this treasure is worth so much. And if I take everything in my life, and this man surely had things in his life that were of great value to him. He says, he says I'm going to take it all. I'm going to add it all up. I'm going to put it all together, all my money, all my hobbies, all my idols, everything in my life that has any value whatsoever. It's all on this side and on this side, I'm going to take this treasure that's buried in this field, and I'm putting it on this side of the scale. And when you do that, the scale drops like this, and the treasure drastically and, and vastly outweighs everything in his life and every value and every possession that he has. And so that's why the Bible says that with joy, he sells everything that he has to buy that field. You see, the man assessed the worth. He assessed the glory of the treasure that he found in the field. Another way that the word glory is used is to de describe something that's brilliant, right? Something that's beautiful. In the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 34, there's a story, this amazing story of Moses. He's actually in the, the wilderness. He's up on Mount Sinai, and he's up there, and he's having this face-to-face -face meeting with God himself. It really is an amazing story, and Moses comes down the mountain, and when he comes down to deliver the law to the Israelites who are down at the bottom... The Bible says that his face was shining with glory. His face was so, so brightly shining because he had been in the presence of God that the Bible says that the people were afraid to even look at him. In fact, the Bible says that Moses had to put a veil over his face because the people were too afraid to look at the face of Moses because his face was shining with glory. It was so brilliant. It was so beautiful that it was terrifying. And so let me read this story in Exodus chapter 33. So this is actually an account of the meeting that Jesus or that Moses had with God. 
starts at verse 33. Here's what Moses said. Moses said this. He says, please show me your, what does this word say right here? Your glory. Moses is saying, God, I want to see something. I want to see something that I've always wanted to see. Show me your glory. And so I love that God here is actually going to define what his glory is. Can we let God define what glory is this morning? I think it's going to help us in our understanding of glory. Here's what it says. And he said, God said this. God said, I will make all my, what does this word say? Goodness pass before you. I don't know about what you think of when you think of the word glory. I think of like the stars, right? The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God, right? We think about the vastness of the universe that God created, and we think about the brightness of the sun, and and we think glory, I don't know what you have in mind. That's what I think. But when you ask God, what is your glory? God says this, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. I think that that helps us to define what God's glory is. But God doesn't stop there. He says, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. There's something about the name of the Lord that's just glorious. He says, and I will be gracious to whom I will, I will be gracious. This is another attribute of God. We see God's goodness here. God is saying, here's my glory. It's my goodness. It's my grace. What is grace? Grace is when God gives you something good that you don't deserve. Right? God gives us all gifts. He gives us life. We can't say that we deserved it. We didn't earn it. It's something that God graciously gives us because that's who he is. And then it says, and I will show mercy. I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy. There's another attribute of God. We see his goodness on display. We see his grace on display. We see his mercy on display. God's mercy is when God withholds something that we do deserve, right? We deserve God's wrath. We deserve punishment for breaking his law and sinning against God. And God says, even though that's what you deserve, I'm going to withhold that from you. And instead, I'm going to give you something good. I'm going to give you some grace that you don't deserve. Let's keep going here. That's that's worthy of a clap. I think we're starting to understand what God's glory is here. So the story continues in the next chapter. It says, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. Man, this might be another one I want to see. (laughs) And here's what it says, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Church, check it out. Moses said, God, show me your glory. And God says, okay, I'm gonna do that. And here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna cause my goodness and my grace and my mercy and my steadfast love and my faithfulness and my long suffering and my patience. It's all gonna pass before you. And when that happens, you'll get an idea of what my glory is all about. He said, the Lord, the Lord. You know, when we think about God's goodness, it's a concept I think that we can grasp. When we think about the love of God, right, I I think that we can wrap our mind around it. I don't think that we can exhaust it, but I think we can understand it. When we think about God's, God's mercy, we can understand it. When we think about God's grace, we can understand it. But you can't understand the glory of God until you understand all of them together perfectly in one person, in one time, in one place, all at the same time. And that's when you can start to get an idea of the glory of God. So I believe that this passage teaches us that, the, that God's glory is all of these attributes of God that meet in one time, in one place. And when that happens, it's overwhelmingly beautiful. It's overwhelmingly brilliant. It's overwhelmingly Worthy. It shows you that, that God has value that is infinite. 
Pastor and author uh, Timothy Keller, this amazing theologian that I like, he, he has this quote on this passage. He says, God's glory is in some ways the overwhelming superlativeness, the beauty beyond bearing of all these attributes put together. Infinite love, infinite power, infinite wisdom, infinite everything, all wrapped up into one. It is just overwhelmingly beautiful. And therefore, God's glory is his beautiful, attractive, overwhelming superlativeness that leads you to with joy to give up, give away everything you are and everything you have to serve him because of his infinite worth. And Jesus says, now is the son of man glorified. The soldiers are coming. It's about to show, he's about to show them the full extent of his love. He's about to give his life as a ransom for many. He's about to be mocked. He's about to be spit upon. He's about to be beaten. He's about to be whipped. He's about to be crowned with a crown of thorns. He's about to be crucified and pierced through with the spear through his heart. But he's willingly going to be stripped naked and do all these things. And Jesus says, glory, 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 glory. You're about to see the greatest display of God's glory that has ever been seen in the history of the world or ever will be seen right now. Now is the Son of Man glorified. All of my goodness, all of God's justice, his mercy, his grace, his steadfastness, his justice, all of these things, his love, they're all going to descend all together in one time, in one place, in one person, in me, as I give my life for you willingly as a ransom on the cross. Now is the Son of Man glorified. Jesus says that when he is glorified through his voluntary death on the cross, as an act of love for the benefit of others, he is saying that it will be the greatest revelation of his importance his supremacy, his gravity, his weight, his value, and his worth that the world has ever seen. But you know what? Not only will Jesus be glorified, the Bible says that God will be glorified, right? That's what Jesus says. He says, and God will be glorified. You see, the Father willingly gave his Son to save sinners like you and me this morning, and then the Bible says that Jesus willingly went and gave his life as a ransom for sinners. It's the greatest act of love that the world has ever seen. Church, I want us to see the glory of God in the death of Jesus. Can you see it this morning, Walk Church? Can you see his glory? The Bible says this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, and we all with unveiled face, right? We're not like the Israelites who, who couldn't look at the glory of the face of Moses, right? We look at Jesus in his full in his face, and we see his glory and his beauty with unveiled faces. And here's what happens when we do that. This is why I want us to see the glory of God in the death of Jesus this morning, church. It says this. It says, beholding the glory of the Lord with unveiled face, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Listen, church, as we Behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ with unveiled faces. Here's what's happening. The Bible says that we're being transformed into the same image. We're being transformed into the image of Jesus. When you do that, you're going to become more loving. You're going to become more just. You're going to become more gracious. You're going to become more merciful. You're going to become wiser. You're going to become all of these things that comprise the glory of God. And God is going to, he's going to add all of these things to you because you'll be transformed into his image. And when you become like him, you will love like him. All of these things. And there is transformational power that comes with seeing Jesus. There is transformational power that comes with beholding the glory of God. 
and the death of Jesus on the cross. And listen, this transformational power is important, church. Because check it out, it's this transformational power that comes with beholding the glory of God and, and the death of Jesus that actually enables us and empowers us to live out the new commandment that he gives us in verses 34 and 35. If you don't see the glory, if you're not transformed, you can't live out the, the new command. Let's take a look at verses 34 and 35. Here's what it says. It says, a new commandment I give you. This new commandment, I can give it to you because you're going to behold my glory. I'm going to glorify myself. The Father's going to be glorified. He says that you love one another. That's the new command. He says, just as I have loved you. That's the standard. He says, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Listen, if Jesus used the word glory five times in verses 31 and 32, Jesus uses the word love four times in verses 34 and 35. You're starting to get an idea now of the things that's most important to Jesus. The last thing that I have to say to you before I die, check it out. Glory, 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 glory. Now love, 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 love. Yeah, it's worthy of a clap. <clears throat> now, church, we just got to remember the significance here. This is the first thing that Jesus says when Judas leaves the room. There's only the church left. No more betrayers, no more people who are false believers. This new commandment is absolutely foundational to the understanding of the church. I want to make a bold statement here. If we do not grasp the weight, right, to, to play on words, the glory of this new commandment and live it out, then we will cease being <clears throat> the church. You're saying, geez, Pastor Mike, it kind of seems like you're making a big deal about this like new commandment thing, like it's really important. Listen, th that's what you do when you preach, <laughs> all right? You make a big deal about things that are a really big deal. Here's why. Because I need this just as bad as you do. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can, I can just read the Bible and I can forget the significance of who it is that's speaking. This is the word of God. This is Jesus speaking. And, and I, and I want to do this. I just want to let the word commandment land on you for a second. This is not a suggestion. This is not just a good idea. This is not just something that I sort of want to see. Jesus say, is saying, this is a command now that I'm giving you. And about this new command, it's simply love one another. I like what pastor and theologian D.A. Carson says. He says this. He says, the new commandment is simple enough for a toddler to memorize and appreciate profound enough that the most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly they comprehend it and put it to practice. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, this new commandment is to love one another. Now, I know some of you in the room right now, some of y'all are ready to throw a flag on Jesus right now, right? You're saying, hold on a second. This new command isn't really new, <laughs> Right? The Bible in the Old Testament, you should memorize it, Jesus. You know that the Bible already tells us that we need to love one another. And so I want to take a look at a moment and just see if we can understand what's new about this command. Take a look at 34. Jesus actually gives us the answer here if we ask the question, what is it about it, about it that's new? Verse 34, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Here's the new part. What's it say? Just as I have loved you. That's the standard. So I want to just take a few moments here, and I want to just see if we can take a look at some of the ways in which Jesus loved us and see if we can see how that's new. First of all, I want us to look at the extent, the extent to which we are called to love one another. 
This is a big deal, right? There's no limits to Jesus' love. I like, I like um, John chapter 13, verse 1. It says, um, having loved his own who were in the world, it says that he now showed them the full extent of his love, right? Not only did Jesus give his life for us, but he gave it, he gave it in the most humiliating and excruciating way possible, right? Jesus' love has no end to it. Jesus' love for us didn't end when he was arrested. Jesus' love for us didn't end when he was put on trial. His love for us didn't end when he was beaten. His love for us didn't end when he was mocked and spit upon, when he was crowned with the crown of thorns. His love for us didn't end when nails were driven through his hands and his feet. It didn't end when he was agonizing on the cross. It didn't end when the world went dark and he felt the separation of God's love from his life. It didn't end even when he died. Church, even the tip of a Roman spear couldn't discover the end of Jesus' love for us. As a matter of fact, church, his love for us today is still as unwavering and full and perfect as it ever has been. The extent. There is no limits to his love for us. Number two, the kind, the kind of love. Pastor Hyden talked about this a little bit last week, right? The kind of love specifically is called agape love. This is unconditional love. This is a love that originated in heaven, right? This is a love that, that God loved us with. He unconditionally loved us. He sent his son. Why? The Bible says because he loved us. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so therefore, it's a different kind of love. And Jesus loves us with a divine love. John chapter 1 verse 1 says that Jesus was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. God loves us. This is a divine love. It's supernatural. It's unconditional. And because it's supernatural, number three, the source is new. The source is new. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm going to send another helper with a capital H, right? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Listen, we are natural. God is supernatural. We are unable to love the way that Jesus loved us with a natural love because he's calling us to love with a supernatural love. Are you with me? Right, he's going to send the Holy Spirit and this transformational power that comes with beholding the death of Jesus on the cross. God is going to fill us with his Holy Spirit, and then he's going to supernaturally love other people through us. Amen. And number four, the ordering is new. The ordering is new. When Jesus stooped down, he's the teacher, he's the boss, he's the one in charge, he's the rabbi. He walks off the platform before dinner, he wraps a servant's towel around his waist, and he stoops down and he washes their feet. Now, the significance of this is lost on us, church, because, because we don't understand the culture, but to, to have to wash somebody's feet was something that only a slave would do. You would never in a million years see a rabbi or someone powerful like Jesus stoop down and wash anyone's feet. And what that shows us is that the ordering is new. There is no hierarchy in the church. There is no one who's more important than you are in the church. We're all even at the foot of the cross. I like the way that Jesus puts it here. In fact, it's even more radical than that. In, in, uh, in Philippians 2, Paul actually says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, what does he say to do? Count others as more significant than, your, than yourselves. Right, this is a radical love, church, is it not? We're not just saying, hey, that we're all equal. We're all level at the foot of the cross. The mind of Christ was this that your needs are actually more significant than mine. I'm putting your needs ahead of mine. Church, that's how Jesus is calling us to love one another. The commandment is to love one another the way that I have loved you. He says, let, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest 
of others. And then it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, it's interesting that the early church put this into practice, right? By the power of the Holy Spirit, they, they lived this new commandment, and it changed the world. In the, in the second century, there's actually this, this, um, this Roman official named Caecilius. I'm just going to go with it. I think that's how you say his name. But he was complaining about Christianity. And here's what he said. He said, they love each other almost before they even know each other. It's weird. Like, just because they, they worship the same God, just because Jesus, apparently their boss, their, their God commanded them to love one another, it's like they really take it seriously and they love each other. They don't even know each other yet and they actually love each other. It's really weird. I don't understand it. I don't get it. And then by the 4th century AD, it wasn't just Roman officials who were complaining now, but it was the emperor himself. Julian, the emperor of Rome in the 4th century AD, said this. And by the way, it's really interesting because Christians worship a God that we can't see, right? The Bible says that we worship the invisible God. Jesus himself is in heaven. He's with us now by his Holy Spirit. And that was weird to the ancient world because they all worshipped idols and statues. And so do you know what he called Christians? Atheists. We were the original atheists before it was cool, all right? Check it out. Speaking of Christianity, here's what it says. It says, atheism, that's us, Christians, who don't have a God we can see, has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers. This is new. This is radical. And through the care for the burial of the dead. You see, Christians believe that, that you are to respectfully lay our dead bodies aside and await, to await the resurrection. And so that was what the early Christians did. And here's what, here's what Julian says. He says, it is a scandal. It's a scandal that, that there is not a single Jew in all of Rome, right? There's not a single Jew who is a beggar. And that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. He says, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. Amazing. This is a, a new kind of love. This is a, a love that, that when you obey it, church, the entire world can see it. Do you realize that? When the, when the church loved the way that Jesus commanded us to love, it made its way all the way up to the emperor Julian. And he said it's a scandal. And point number three, I just want us to see, I want us to do this. This is the action step here today, church. This is where the rubber meets the road. Point number three says, show the glory of God by loving one another. Do you, do you realize that your life is a billboard? Do you realize that the world is watching? I want to see if we can just catch this pro pro progression here. Jesus says this. He says, glory, 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 glory. I'm going to die on the cross. I want you to behold this glory and then here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go away, and Julian is going to say that you're godless because you're, you're atheist because you don't have a God you can see. And then check it out, though. I'm giving you a new command, and if you live out that new command, here's what's going to happen. Julian is going to know that you are my disciples. You see, when we live out this new command, the watching world looks at the church and says, wow, Jesus doesn't seem like he's here. I can't see him, but actually I can see him working through his people because they're loving the way that he loved. You know what? The mark of a Christian is kind of like designer clothing, right? <laughs> right? You, you got a logo or you got, you got a little thing that you can see, like on this shirt right here. It's got a logo right here on the front. If, if you're wearing Nikes, you can tell. If you're wearing Adidas, you can tell. If it's Polo, you can tell. If it's Ralph Lauren, you can tell. But the mark of a Christian is that you love one another, right? I mean, you can, you can always tell a, a public official by the clothes that they're wearing. You know it's a police officer by, by their attire. You know it's a judge by their attire. 
right? You know it's a doctor by what they're wearing. But God has given the church a mark, a brand that is so irrefutable that, that if you do it, if you live out this new commandment, the entire world will notice and they'll know that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. So in the moments that we have left this morning, let me just see if we can look at some specific ways. Now, I think we've seen the glory of God in the death of Jesus, right? We've understood that this new commandment is a big deal. It's a radical kind of love. It's a supernatural kind of love. But what are some ways that we, by the power of the Holy Spirit this week, can actually live this out? I just want to give us some, some handlebars because it's been a lot of th- theory up to this point. But let's see if we can just put some of this stuff into practice. I've been talking to some of the leaders in our church this week and just saying, hey, what are some stories that, that, um, that you can tell me just about the way that people in our church have loved one another? And we were able to talk about it this week. And even Nina sent me a, sent me a text message this morning. And you could just tell she was just so excited. She's like, this happened and this happened. And, and, then, and then somebody had a, a, a miscarriage. And, but the church rallied around them. And they watched the kids. And they brought meals over. And, and, and then these people did this. And it was just amazing. And it's been so great to, to just think about and talk about all of the ways that our church has actually loved one another over the past several years. But here's a few ways that we can, today, that we can love one another the way that God has called us to. Number one, love the person right in front of you, right? Whether it's the person in the line next to you, whether it's the teller at the bank or, or, or the barista at the coffee shop, listen, there's so much pain and, and there's so much hurt in this world, right? Everybody needs a tender word at some point in time, right? Everyone needs a helping hand. So just, why don't you just start with the person right in front of you? Number two, Meet a need. Meet a need, right? To love sacrificially means that you will willingly give up the things that you want or even the things that you think you need in order to do others good, right? We're, we're committed to the good of another person. You know, we tend to put limits on our love, right? We're only, only willing to sacrifice so much. But Jesus' love for us was unconditional. It had no limits. And most importantly, it was self-sacrificial. That's new. Like that, that part of the, the command is new. It's not just love your neighbor as yourself. It's actually self-sacrificial love. You see, Jesus elevates the law of God, and he expects us now to live that out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Number three, we can build someone up. Build someone up. As Pastor Hyden said last week, our words are powerful. We can, we can say a, an encouraging word to somebody, right? Get together with somebody this week and just give them a word of encouragement. Call out something that you see in their life that you appreciate or that you notice that's good and encourage them with that. Number four, commit yourself to the good of another person. Commit yourself to the good of another. Romans 15 verse 1 says that we are to bear the weaknesses of the weak. If you see a spiritually immature believer, don't don't abandon them. Don't talk about them. Don't walk away from them. Like, help them. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, bear with their weaknesses. The Bible says, bear their burden. And in so doing, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Number five, I, I, I really respect single mothers. I don't know how, how you do it. You know, I've, I've got a wife and we have four kids and it's hard enough, it's hard enough for, for us. I would just say this, just find a single mother in our church somewhere or, or in your neighborhood and just offer to watch the kids while they go grocery shopping. Offer to watch the kids while they go have coffee with a girlfriend or something like that. It's a big deal to be able to get out of the house without your kids. I'm realizing I actually was able to love my wife like that this week and it made a big difference. Number six, I would just say this, today. Today you can find someone in our church who you don't know, 
right? Don't, don't go to love with your best friend. I mean, don't go to, church, to lunch with your best friend today. Find somebody that you don't know. Find somebody who doesn't look like you. Find somebody who may not vote like you do and go take them to lunch today. Buy them lunch, talk to them, get to know them, get to know their story. That's a great way to, to, to love people. Number seven, I would just say this, help somebody. Help somebody. If you possess a skill that somebody else doesn't have, listen, I know our time is valuable, but you can love somebody by helping them do something that they can't do, right? We actually have a food pantry. Um, we haven't been able to operate it over the past year or so because of COVID-19, but I believe in August, we're actually going to be able to open up our food pantry once again at Schofield Middle School. Yeah. And so as we do that, we'll make more announcements, but I would really encourage you guys to volunteer to serve, to serve there. I mean, people really, really appreciate it. And, and another, another thing is we actually, uh, we actually partner with a local soup kitchen here in town. It's called Friends in the Desert. And that was introduced to us by our friend Russ. Yeah, by our friend Russ. And, um, you know, it's a great way you can just go and you can serve. You can actually serve the food. You can cook the food. But, but they, they literally serve 100 meals seven days a week. And it's a great ministry. So that's, that's another way that you can love people. And so as I close today, I just want to just say that there is one more part of the sermon. Jesus said glory five times. Jesus used the word love four times, but he also used another set of words three times. And you ready for the words? It's one another. It's one another. Listen, you're the other part of the sermon. You cannot live out this new commandment without one another. Amen? So here's what I want us to do. I know this might be a little bit uncom uncomfortable, but I just want you to get close enough to someone where you can just reach out and you can touch them. Right? You can hold hands, you can do elbows, you can touch shoulders, you can do anything if you're comfortable. But I just want you to understand that you are the other part of the sermon. You can't do what God is calling us to do without each other. And I believe that Walk Church is already doing a great job at this. I know Walk Church is doing a great job of this, but I believe that we can all do better. I believe every church can do better. You can never, you can never fully live up to the, to the kind of love that, that Jesus is calling us to. So I want to read one more passage from 1 Peter chapter 4. And as I do that, I want us to close our eyes. And I just want you to pray that, that, that God would make this an even more apparent reality in the life of Walk Church. Here's what it says. It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as the one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, church, as we love one another the way that Jesus has called us to, here's the result, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us now. Bashan will lead us in a song. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, God. We thank you so much, God, for displaying the glory that you displayed, God, for all the world to see. God, surely the greatest display of glory ever to be seen by human eyes and eyes of faith that can see today from Las Vegas, Nevada, was the death of your son, Jesus. 
So God, we thank you for loving us the way you did. God, we thank you for loving us with self-sacrificial love. And God, right now, I just pray that you would make 1 Peter 4 a reality even more, God, in the life of our church. God, I pray that you would empower us by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, to live out the sermon, to live out the new commandment, God, that you gave your church, the foundation that your church was built upon. God, we can't do it on on our own. We, We need you by the power of your Holy Spirit. So God, we're asking you to help us. In Jesus' name, amen.